Good morning. Would you please pray with me? Father, you alone are the God who speaks. So as we turn our eyes and hearts to your word now, may you open blinded eyes and soften hardened hearts to see Christ and his glory. Let every word that I say now honor, exalt, and glorify you, and let every word that be heard be from you. We pray this for your glory in the name of your living word, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Four years ago, on a day much like this, the English language was changed. The Oxford Dictionary added a list of 65 new words um, to the English language, terms that were so pervasive in society's vernacular that they warranted being added to the English language itself. Among this list was the now popular words and no well-known words like selfie, twerk, and also slightly less well-known words like nappy or seriously, S-R-S-L-Y. One can only imagine what will come next for those who have to go through the pain of studying and learning and speaking the English language. But as entertaining as going through this list of words was, one particular term caught my eye and presented itself to me as an appropriate description for what many of us, and especially our youth, are facing today. The term was FOMO, short for fear of missing out. The crux of this now popular term is that missing out on something somewhere does you psychological harm. Um, it has an effect on your psychological well-being and how you see yourself, and this is how it works. So you open your phone when you're having a meal, you scroll through Facebook and Instagram, and you see the travels, meals, and celebrations that people are having, and suddenly you lose your appetite. All of a sudden, you get the sense that somehow you're missing out on something great out there. People said that you would be a fool to miss out on the biggest and best things going on in life, and so this causes personal anxiety and the feeling of foolishness for not being in it or socially immersed enough. Thus, you get FOMO, fear of missing out. But before you write off this word as just another fad from our generation or something that just pops up on the internet, the Bible actually has something to say about opportunities missed. And in our text today, we'll see a particular opportunity that was missed by someone, not by virtue of him not being there, but by virtue of him rejecting it altogether. Turn with me, if you will, to chapter 10 in the book of Mark, where we'll be considering a well-known event in Scripture, but one whose impact and lesson for us today is still more important than ever before. My hope is that as we spend time together in the Word this morning, God will open our eyes and hearts to see the surpassing value of following Christ and how the greatest fear of missing out that we could ever have is missing out on a life with him. Read with me, starting in verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. 
disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Amen. As we consider the text today, let me give you the primary truth from this passage of Scripture before we dive deep into it and see it for ourselves. So what we see, and what we pray that God would open our eyes to see this morning, is that seeing Jesus as God, who alone gives eternal life and is valuable above all else, will lead to our following and our, our obedience in our lives. Again, for those of you taking notes, seeing Jesus as God, who alone gives eternal life and is valuable above all else will lead to our following and our obedience. Today, with God's help, we will unpack this by seeing three truths that are revealed to us in Scripture about Jesus that will help us hear and respond to a new or renewed call to obedience in our lives to our Lord. Let's start with the first point, that we will obey Jesus' call to follow when we see that Jesus is God. The scene starts with Jesus and his disciples going on a journey uh, to Jerusalem, as we would see before if you read earlier uh, prior to the context, and a rich young man running up to him and asking about eternal life. Notice how he's described in verse 17 as having run up, knelt, and then addressing Jesus as good teacher. This man respects Jesus, or at least outwardly shows this, so much so that he's willing to run up to him and kneel before him. In Jesus' day, running for a man was considered socially inappropriate. And to give you a picture of what it would be like, it would be like for us in the UAE, a man with a kondora grabbing all his garments from bottom all the way up to his waist and running, risking looking incredibly silly to pursue what it was or who it was that he was running after. Such was the case with the man here. He felt the need to run and kneel and risk some form of social embarrassment for someone like him, a fairly young and respected and wealthy person. Why? Because he wanted to ask Jesus a question, a question that I garner many to this day are still asking, and perhaps you yourself are asking too. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In essence, the man was seeking Jesus to ask how he could save his soul, and more specifically, what he could do to save his soul. And herein lies the main theme of this first section of Scripture, eternal life and how to gain it. But as we see in Scripture, Jesus' answer was certainly not what the man expected. See in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
hardly the sort of clear or direct command that the young man would have hoped to have received from going up to this well-esteemed teacher. Yet, Jesus' response here and what follows gets at the very heart of what the man needed the most. We'll see later that the man didn't really see Jesus as God, and his response to Jesus proves it. But before we get there, let's take a closer look at the words of Jesus himself, what he says and what he doesn't say because of the rest of the passage hinges on this critical truth of what Jesus reveals about himself and about eternal life here. Look with me. So we see that Jesus replies to the man with a question and a statement. Why do you call me good? And no one is good but God alone. Let's take a moment to piece that together. It helps in this case to perhaps go backwards and build up what Jesus is saying and therefore understand why he might have said it. No one is good but God alone. The critical word here in this case is good. The Greek here, agathos, means intrinsically or inherently good, distinguished above other things and ultimately desirable. If that's the case, and given what Jesus said, only God is inherently good, distinguished, and desirable. So in light of this, what reasons might there be that the man would still call Jesus good? I see two main answers potentially for this question. The first is perhaps that the man just didn't understand what the word good actually meant. I mean, it's not very strange to us. We often use words that we might understand ourselves. And perhaps this was the case of the man, that he respects Jesus with a term that is honorable and esteemed without fully knowing the meaning of that word and what it actually means. And I'm sure he wouldn't be alone. Many people today would say that Jesus is a good teacher without seeing what Jesus himself had to say about that. And so perhaps the man called Jesus good just because he didn't know any better. But to find the second answer of why this man, why anyone actually would call Jesus good, however, we need to see what Jesus says for himself. Notice how Jesus doesn't correct the man for calling him good, but only clarifies further that God alone is good. So taken together, Jesus' response to the man in verse 18 can be rephrased as a question to the young man and indeed a question for all of us this morning, who are you saying that I am? If God only is good and you are calling me good, then who do you say that I am? And do you say that I am God? Who do you say Jesus is? Our honest response to this question shows what we think about Jesus and also determines how we will respond to the rest of what he says. Right after this, Jesus lists four of the 10 commandments which for those who are not familiar, were a set of commandments given by God to the Israelites after they were liberated from slavery in Egypt. Out of the 10, Jesus lists six, all of which have to do with the relationship between us and other people. Things like honor your father and mother, do not, committing, do not commit adultery, and not murdering. What surprisingly is missing, though, are the commandments that have to do with our relationship with God. The first four, namely, not having other gods, not bowing down to idols, not taking the Lord's name in vain, and keeping the Sabbath day, the Lord's holy day, holy. Why would Jesus do this? Keep reading with me and let's find out. In verse 20, the man now, apparently not calling Jesus good teacher anymore, but merely just teacher, tells Jesus that he's kept all the six commandments from his youth, or in other words, that he was doing pretty well in terms of the law, or at least these six commandments. Things were going all right for him. He was able to justify himself supposedly before Jesus. But then Jesus really drops it on the young man. 
telling him about the only one thing that he lacked. He calls him to give up everything that he had, give to the poor, and to follow him. The exposure of this one thing that the man lacked shows us why Jesus left out the commandments earlier in his list. The man's God was his wealth. And in order to have eternal life, Jesus must take the place of riches as God in the man's heart. Why didn't the man follow? We see in verse 22 that disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The young man considered great possessions to be more valuable than eternal life primarily because he didn't see that Jesus is God. And it's true. Because if Jesus wasn't God, then why would it be worth selling all that you have, especially when you have a lot in following him? That would be foolishness. Christian, if Jesus is not God, then your life spent following him is in vain, a waste and foolishness of the highest caliber. Jesus would be a madman at best, a charlatan at worst. But scripture shows us a Jesus who is neither a madman nor a charlatan, who by many teachings and works showed that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, who had the power to save, with the greatest of these works being his death on a Roman cross for the sins of all who would trust in him for forgiveness by faith, and consequently his resurrection from death to life on the third day. This is the hope that Christians have, and this is why we say that Jesus is God, and this is why any Christian would follow him. Indeed, if the man knew that it was God himself in the flesh standing in front of him that day, he would have gladly gave all that he had to follow Jesus. Jesus himself describes this, describes the kingdom of heaven as being like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, upon finding a pearl of great price, sold all that he had and bought it. So do you see Jesus today? Christian, God might not call you to sell all that you have, but he does call you today to have him alone as God. No other idol can sit on the throne of your heart. Not riches, not prestige, not prosperity. What is holding you back like the riches did for the young man following Jesus' call to obedience in his life? Will you give excuses about time, discomfort, uncertainty? Or will you recognize the truth that if Jesus is God, then he is God over all of your life and not just part of it? And if you're not a Christian with us today, let me first of all say that we are so glad to have you here with us. We hope that during your time here today, you will see Jesus to be who he says he is. And that as God, he will be the one who you approach in whom you can find forgiveness of sins, truth, and eternal life. Oh, please don't be like the rich young ruler who had God right in front of him, standing in front of him, offering to give him eternal life if he followed him, and then turning away, thinking that the temporal things of this world were better than the surpassing greatness of following Christ. May that not be you. We will see Jesus as God, and we will follow him. Second, We will obey Jesus' call to follow when we recognize that only he can grant eternal life. And what about eternal life? I mean, this was the reason the man came up to Jesus in the first place, to seek eternal life and how to find it. But what a tragedy it was that the very thing that brought the man to come up to Jesus was also the very thing that he considered too costly for him to give up other things for. 
the young man's response to Jesus' call shows that either he did not fully desire eternal life or that he didn't understand what it was in reality. The young man's response to Jesus' call is seen in this passage upon him hearing about the invitation to follow and being disheartened and leaving. The young man might have asked Jesus how to inherit eternal life, but when seeing that eternal life would mean a great cost to his current life, decided that it was not truly what he wanted. Or maybe it was that the man didn't understand fully what eternal life was in the first place. I mean, what would you say eternal life is? Some people say endless peace, others say riches and happiness. But in this passage, we see Jesus ending his answer to a question about eternal life with two simple yet eternally significant words, two words that he gives everyone who hears the message today. Follow me. Follow me. No talk about law, no talk about doing good works, being good enough to earn your way in. You see, eternal life is not an object that you inherit as much as it is a person that you follow. Because Jesus is God, he alone can grant eternal life. Because Jesus was the one who died and was raised, he alone is the one who can grant eternal life and give it to those who follow him. Eternal life is not found in anywhere else. Jesus puts it like this early in the book of Mark in chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Or how different that was from what the young man and many people today think eternal life is. Of all the great possessions that the man already had, eternal life would, been the, would have been the very pinnacle of what one could hope to inherit, an eternally glorious heirloom and a legacy that would not fade. And yet Jesus calls the exact opposite. He tells us that eternal life is found only with the giver of life and not with riches, the giver of life himself, God the very God who was standing in front of the man that day. And so, the man leaves sorrowful, having rejected eternal life from the only one who could ever give it to him. Well, I wonder what we seek for eternal life nowadays. What we seek as the thing that will grant us happiness, and perhaps when we've heard about it now, as we just have, that Jesus is the one who grants eternal life and salvation from sins how we respond to that message. Taking what happened with the rich young ruler, Jesus then continues to teach his disciples about wealth. Read with me again from verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It, would be easier for a, for, it, would be easy, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Taking what had just happened with the rich young ruler, about him leaving now because of his great riches. Jesus makes the exclamation that wealth makes it harder and not easier to enter the kingdom of God. But his disciples were amazed at his words. Why? 
Because for them, and indeed perhaps for many people in our society today, receiving wealth was the sign of God's acceptance. Receiving wealth and blessing was the sign that God loved you and accepts you, meaning that you should theoretically find it easier to enter the kingdom of God, not harder. And yet, as he always does, Jesus turns this thinking on its head. And in case they missed it the first time, Jesus says again how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Friends, not only is it difficult to enter enter the kingdom of God when one's life is possessed with great possessions, but it's easier for something that's unfathomable to happen. Now, verse 25 has received a lot of attention and various interpretation over the decades, Some say that the camel must simply squeeze hard enough, have enough faith, so that it can enter the hole of the needle and pass through with all its riches. Others say that the needle is referred to a certain gate in Jerusalem that others must enter in, and before doing so, must take off all their goods to be able to fit. I'm not here to decide the interpretation, but I will say that from my reading of the text, it doesn't seem to be either of those. The reason I say this is because of the disciples' response in verse 26. They go from being amazed at his words to exceedingly astonished. Had they taken the meaning of Jesus' saying to be either one of those interpretations offered, their response would have been different. But no, they go from amazement to sheer astonishment. The Greek word here for astonishment here, ekplasio, can be understood in our modern day context as completely blown out of your minds. So you can kind of imagine the response that the disciples were having about Jesus bringing this about. That here it was that Jesus had flipped this conventional thinking on top of its head and saying that wealth makes it harder for you to enter the kingdom of God. What a shame that is that so many people spend their lives trying to amass wealth only to realize this very thing that they're trying to pursue will ruin their soul. Jesus' teaching on wealth often makes, on how wealth often makes it harder and rather than easier to enter the kingdom of God, was astonishing to the disciples. And it should be astonishing for us too. In a world and in a society where we very much see the greatest epitome of achievement, of worldly success, is fame, is prosperity, and is of wealth. Jesus' words here should be a stark warning to us, especially for those of us in university or about to head on to university. Jesus' words here should be a warning for us to consider truly what it is that we should be looking for and how though the world and this rich young man may value riches over Christ, that is only a recipe for disaster. But as we'll see later today, the reason Jesus calls us to not pursue these and that these will not be the way we enter the kingdom of God is that he is something infinitely better for us. Note also that Jesus' point here isn't that everyone who is a Christian should sell all that they have and become poor so that they can enter the kingdom of God. It would be far too easy if that were the case. A call to just basically give up all that you have and sell it is a far cry from Jesus' real call in our lives. He is calling us to renounce every form of worldly reliance on riches, power, and fleshly strength, and instead Do what the man did not do. Follow Christ by realizing that he is God. And if that he is God, he is worth us giving up everything for if he calls us to ever do that.
the disciples asked if it, is, if it is difficult to enter the kingdom of God as a rich man, who were the most powerful, prestigious, and prominent, then who can be saved? And Jesus' answer, with man, it, or salvation, is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Eternal life and salvation are found not in riches, nor in earthly power, but in God, in Christ alone. That's what makes the scene of the young man leaving Jesus so heartbreakingly tragic. That an offer for eternal life, an answer for his question, and an extension of salvation that was given to him by the only one who could ever give it, was rejected in favor of possessions, which though perhaps great, are still nevertheless temporary. But before we get critical of the young man and call him out for the fool that he was, let us not forget that if it were not for God's work in our lives, we would be the same. Not only would we fail to enter the kingdom of God in our own strength, but we would turn away and reject it, just as the man did. But if we see Jesus to be God, then we will know that eternal life and entering the kingdom of God is possible because it's not with us, but it's with God. And all things are possible with God. And the important thing to consider is that this is not just about salvation. Jesus' call to the man was not just to do one act, but to follow. And it's incredibly important for us as Christians to remember that Jesus called for us to follow, not to raise your hand during a sermon, to not sign a card and declare that you're a Christian, but you know that you are a Christian as you follow. And oh, how difficult it is sometimes can be. That the things of this world, like riches, which push the man away from following Christ, can lead us away too. If our lives are so bent on seeking God for the riches, for the blessing, for the worldly goods that he gives us, then perhaps God isn't our God. Perhaps money is. And that is a starkingly serious claim. But as we continue to see, Jesus calls us to follow him, not because life with him will be worse, but because it's better ultimately in the eternal sense. It's easy for us as youth, especially those of us in university now, to be thinking of what's best next. To be thinking about, oh, after I graduate, then I'll be able to go out and get this job and do these things and get this money and get married and settle down in this place so I can have a lot of riches and I'll have a great life. But Jesus' call to any of us is not changed depending on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. It's still to follow. If we see that Jesus is God and he is the only one who can give eternal life, then we will follow him. So for you today, are you relying on your own power, riches, or good works for salvation? Or even, are you relying on your own power, riches, or good works for the Christian life? Heed Jesus' warning here, that the seeking of the things of this world, as good as they might seem, will only ruin your soul. And that is not the way to salvation. That only through Christ of a following of him, as the one who died and was raised, can we find eternal life and hope. And finally, we will obey Jesus' call to follow when we value him above all else. In light of the true truths that Jesus is God and that he alone can grant eternal life, we have to come to the conclusion about how we will respond to him. 
Peter says in verse 28 that he, along with the rest of the disciples, had left everything in order to follow Jesus. Jesus covers these two ideas in his response, two particular ideas of a worthy loss and a priceless gain. First, a worthy loss. Jesus doesn't say that following him will be easy. In fact, the very reason he makes mention of the list of the things that one might lose in verse 29 is exactly because his followers must be willing to lose those very things for his sake. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, and land, your possessions, your comfort, your worldly security cannot be what governs your life. And Jesus' call to you is one that you must be willing to put down everything else aside to follow him. Now again, there may be those who say that you must leave your family, your house, and your land in order to be a Christian. But look again in verse 29. Jesus' focus is not primarily on leaving what one has. Rather than, than that, his focus on the reason for which one leaves it. For my sake and the gospel, in verse 29, is what Jesus said. Jesus is saying that being a Christian means that even if you are called to actually leave your family, your house, your land, and everything in which you find comfort, security, and pleasure in order to follow him, you will still say that he is worth it, and you will still say that Christ is enough. In many ways, it's sometimes harder to follow Jesus' call, to follow him, and to give your life for the gospel, rather than it is to do the mere outward look of just leaving something and following him. Sometimes, perhaps in the case of family, the true response of following Jesus is to actually stay. Sometimes, the true response to following Jesus may be to do things that might not seem on the surface as worldly, as respectable, but Jesus' call to you is to follow him, and following him inherently means that he is God over your life. And because that is the reason that you follow him, nothing is off limits. But why is Jesus worth it? And why is Jesus enough? He alone is God, and he alone offers eternal life. But Jesus also offers more than you could ever lose for his sake. This takes us to the second part of Jesus' response, a priceless gain. Jesus promises that those who are willing to part with all they have because they see who he is and follow him will not be left abandoned. How? Well, look around you right now. If you are a Christian, then through the church of Christ, you have received countless more brothers, sisters, and family than you could ever have lost for the sake of following Christ. These four years that I've spent here have been an incredible and also difficult time, leaving my family in Australia and coming here, being able to adjust to this new place. But God has shown me through the church here and through Christian community I've been blessed with through focus that indeed Christ's promise here is true. As I look around today, I see brothers, sisters, families who have opened their houses to me, and I can testify God's faithfulness is great and his words here are true. How much more that should mean that we should take his words seriously when he calls us to follow, to consider who he is, that he is God, the only one who can grant eternal life, and the one who is valuable above all else. 
I praise God today that he has brought my family by blood to be here with my family in Christ. This is truly a demonstration of God's faithfulness in this time. But this is merely a foretaste of what heaven will be like. Christian, if you follow Christ and you are a part of Christ's body here on earth, the church, universal church, but seen and experienced through local gatherings like the one we have here. So during our time here, we know that we have brothers and sisters and family, along with those who are also following Christ. And upon the conclusion of this life, we will go. And then God promises that one day, all his people who have trusted in him and followed him will be reunited around his throne from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and every period, and every era of society and human history will be gathered around God's throne for white-hot worship of our triune God. So where do you stand today? Maybe you are like the young man who has seen and heard the message of Jesus Christ, but your heart is still tugged by things that are pulling you back. Know that his call to you is the same as it was to the young man. Follow me. He calls you as God, the only one who can give eternal life and salvation, and the one for whom sacrificing all things is worth it. The amazing thing about the call of Christ is that it applies not only to those who have just become Christians or are on the verge of becoming Christians, but that it stays with us. The gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, and the fact that though we were sinners created by a holy God, who we have rebelled against and now sit under condemnation, can be redeemed by God sending his son Jesus in love and forbearance to die for the sins of those who trust in him. And this call for us to follow him now is a message that we don't move on from ever. That in as much as we start as a Christian with the gospel, we will stay as a Christian with the gospel. We will never go beyond that. And Jesus' call to follow is for one that we would continually walk with him, reminding ourselves of these critical truths, that he is God, he alone grants eternal life, and he is valuable above all things. To our youth today who are graduating, Alison, Isaiah, Andrew, and Anna, my prayer is that you will take these truths with you as you step into this new stage of life. That in a society where the world prizes everything that, that the rich young ruler had, being prosperous, prestigious, and powerful, that you will choose instead to heed Jesus' call on your life and to follow him, knowing that in him alone you can find life that lasts. I would much rather give you the wisdom of Christ revealed here than my own worldly lived experiences. I've only been a person for 20 years, and so I can only give you so much. I want to close today by sharing the story of a missionary in the 1950s named Jim Elliott. You might have heard his name before, or maybe not, but his life and his demonstration of the one who saw Christ as God and recognized that only Jesus Christ offers eternal life and therefore left all that he had in obedience to follow him is something that we can learn from today. At the prime age of 32, Elliot left with four other missionaries to Ecuador, for the sake of reaching the Hawarani people, a people group who had never heard about Jesus 
nor about the life that he offers through his, for his life, death, and resurrection. For four years, they labored hard to reach, connect with, and love with these people. And on the 8th of January, 1956, Elliot and his four friends were killed along the banks of the Kurarai River. By the world's standards, these young men were tragedies, fools, and great losses. But what Eliot saw was what the young man didn't see in our passage, and what I hope that you will see today, that Jesus is God worth following, and the gospel is a message worth sharing, even if it means the loss of everything that you might have. Sure, God may not tell you to give up all that you have, or move halfway around the world, or he might. <laughs> but he does call you to give up yourself in a life of following Jesus, who being God, died for your sins and mine, and was raised to life, and now alone can, eternal, can offer eternal life to anyone who trusts in him by faith and sustain him until the day he returns or the day he calls his children home. And now that's something you don't want to miss out on. As Eliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. May you not be a fool to leave this place today without considering who Jesus is, his call for you to follow him now as the only one who can grant you eternal life and the only one with whom you will find the best life not now, but in following him for all your life, depending on his grace, following with his people, with the hope that one day you will be united with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we see in your word today Jesus' call for us, we saw it in his call for the rich young man to have you as his God and not anything else. But we pray that you would take these truths that we've listened to and drive them deep into our heart. That as we have beheld the glory of Christ and how he alone is God, he alone grants eternal life and he alone is valuable above all else. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would respond in a life of following, in a life of obedience to him. Father, I pray for those who may not have trusted you or perhaps this is the first time that they've heard the message. Lord, may you work in their heart that they may not be foolish, that they would not walk away from an offer that you extend to them through Jesus Christ and what he has done. And Lord, I pray for those who have followed you already, that in as much as we started with these truths, that we would continue with these truths, that our lives would be marked by no other gospel than the pure and true gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would continue to teach us these things and help us to see that you alone are God over all our lives, who is infinitely glorious. We praise you, we honor you, we worship you, our triune God, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.